In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yesterday was quality. Last evening, we celebrated the reception of calls by men and women into ministry as pastors, deaconesses. It was, in a sense, a celebration of the Spirit's work in the third article of the Creed. Yesterday was also Earth Day. In a sense, it was a celebration of what we Christians would call God's work in the first article of the Creed. Now, the two events might seem like complete polar opposites. At one extreme, it might appear that quality focused on getting people off of Earth and into heaven. And the other extreme, it might appear that Earth Day events focused on getting people to love the Earth as their goddess mother. That's why I've chosen the two texts that we read today. One focuses on God's original creation. The other focuses on God's new creation. In between, there is a marvelous story to be told that binds the original creation to the coming creation. So let's begin with Genesis 2 and ask, for what purpose did God create human beings? Common answers often include, well, to love God, to live with God, to glorify God. True. And yet that might suggest that life is only about me and God and nothing else. Genesis 2 opens by noting that there were no trees and shrubs on the earth. Why? Because there was no human creature to tend them, to work the ground. So what does God do? He creates an arboreal garden, a tree park, if you will, an orchard, and then he created human creatures to tend it. They belong together. You could say they were made for each other. Genesis 2.15 expressly states this purpose. God put his human creatures into the garden to do two things, to cultivate it, to work it, to serve the ground, and secondly, to care for it, preserve it, and protect it. In the words of a colleague, this, in a sense, is God's first great commission to us. It is our first vocation. You see, God did not give this task of tending the earth to spiritual creatures like angels. He designed creatures specially suited for that task. Consider the connections. He made human creatures from the earth for the earth. Humans from the humus. He did not create us to live in the vacuum of space. He did not create us to live in the methane gas of Venus. He created us to live on Earth. This is our home. And he gave us five senses in order that we might discover and delight in our connection to all that he has made. It's not by accident that we find our spirits lifted up on a beautiful spring day. It is not by accident that people flock to garden centers and to parks. And doesn't a day like this just make you want to go out and plant some trees? God's earth connects us to our non-human fellow creatures as well. To use God, Luther's words, God created us together with all creatures. He formed humans from the ground, and in verse 19, he created every beast of the field and every bird of the air from the ground as well. We share the earth with them as a common home. It's not by accident that we find ourselves drawn to our non-human fellow creatures. More people visit zoos every year than attend sporting events. Forty million of us are bird watchers. God's earth also connects us to each other. 
soil, food, climate give rise to culture that binds us to one another. We cannot live in isolation as much as I like Simon and Garfunkel, I am a rock, I'm an island. The fact is, unfortunately, Barbara Streisand was more correct. People who need people. And in the midst of all this, God connects us to him, or God's earth connects us to him as well. God formed us by his hands and breathed his breath into his human creatures. God walked with his human creatures in the garden. And here's something I don't think we always appreciate. God deals with us only in, with, and under the, his creation. He does not deal with us apart from the earth, and we do not deal with God apart from creation, apart from our bodies, and apart from our use of creation. That's kind of why I like our chapel. It's not closed off from God's earth. Instead, it opens up onto the arboreal park of our campus with the dogwoods, the redwoods, the maples, and the oaks. As you can see, God connected everything together that he had made. Each creature has a place and a purpose. Ecologists call it a habitat and a niche. And God created us to maintain and promote that well-being and shalom of all of his creatures. Think about it. We, only, we can only take care of each other by taking care of creation on which we depend for life. We can only look after our non-human fellow creatures by taking care of the habitats on which they depend. And we live with God only by using the earth for his purposes and not turning it into an idol. But as you know, the story takes a rather bad turn. We destroyed the shalom of God's earth, it led to exile from God, alienation from one another, and fear between us and all other creatures. God judged human sin by cursing the earth upon which our very lives depended. Human sin brought our home and our non-human fellow creatures under the curse of God time and time again. Since then, we've worked to shield ourselves from the threats of creation to the point that we live almost our entire lives in environments of our own making that disconnect us even further from God's creation. But God would not allow his creation to fall apart. He reclaimed it, and he reclaimed it by beginning with the very creatures who brought the curse down upon it. In the birth of Christ a few months ago, we celebrate the entry of the Son of God into the creation that he himself had created. In commemorating his death a few weeks ago, we mourn the fulfillment of Zephaniah's words, a day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. On Good Friday, God poured out his anger against his human creatures who ruined the harmony of his creation. The Son of God, who embodied the entire human race, died on our behalf. The rest of creation felt it as well. In the presence of God's anger, the Creator turned into chaos. The sky darkened, the earth shuddered. And then Christ was raised from death. Again, he rose from the dead as one who embodied the entire human race. As another professor noted, Jesus became the first man of the new creation. He is the prototype of the new human creature. He is the template of what you and I will become. For in the resurrection of our bodies, we will be conformed to his body. And so he did not rise that we might escape the earth to some non-physical spiritual realm. He rose that we might recover our creatureliness and with the resurrection of our bodies, creation itself will be freed from the curse. So you see, 
Earth Day and Call Day may not be as far apart as we might think. For the Holy Spirit calls us to bring the gospel to all people, and what else is the gospel but the promise of the restoration and renewal of God's entire creation? Consider the movement of the storyline. In the first creation, we move from the creation to the human creatures, and in the fall. In Jesus' resurrection, we move from the second Adam, who creates a new human race, and then move to the renewal of the entire creation. The resurrection of Jesus' body ultimately makes all of creation new. So what does this mean for you and me today? At the very least, we ought not pit the two against each other, taking care of creation and proclaiming the gospel. They are not mutually exclusive. The gospel does not call us to abandon ship. It does not call us to abandon the earth. It does not call us to abandon our fellow creatures of the earth. Instead, the gospel calls the new creation into existence, beginning with you and me. The gospel calls forth the new creation into the midst of the old, even as God's word called the universe first into ex existence. I believe that we Christians are in the best position of leading the way in caring for creation without worshiping creation. We know that we cannot ultimately save the earth that we have ruined. Jesus alone can save his creation. But in the meantime, we resist sin wherever we encounter it. We seek to hold it back. We battle the effect of sin in our bodies when we encounter illnesses and diseases. We fight the effects of sin in our human relationships when anger and jealousy threaten to tear us apart. And we seek to limit the effects of sin upon the earth and our non-human fellow creatures. And we carry out these tasks not out of fear of an impending doom and gloom apocalyptic scenario. That's all too common in large parts of the environmental movement. We have hope. We care for a creation that waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. We care for creation in anticipation of the new creation that we fully manifested when Christ returns. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.